Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the uh, podcast. And this is uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Rob Kirkland. And uh, today's episode is uh, really what we would call kind of the lessons that, uh, that I've learned uh, over the past year working with candidates. And this would be the candidates that are, have already received their scholarships for this past year and are gonna be attending school uh, in the fall of 2022. And so I worked with uh, candidates from Army, Navy, uh, Air Force and Marines and uh, was uh, very successful in getting uh, over 95% of candidates uh, scholarships. Uh, so uh, through all of this, you know, each year I learn uh, or I get reinforced things that I already knew and they get reinforced again. And then I also sometimes learn new things each year uh, that uh, are important uh, in getting one of these scholarships. So what I wanted to do uh, with this podcast is just kind of uh, talk to you uh, about the, these things that I learned, uh, you know, kind of hitting on the high points, uh, giving you my kind of thoughts and uh and, uh, you know, and hopefully supplementing or reinforcing things that we've already done on these on previous podcasts. And so uh, a lot of these podcast episodes that uh, that I've already uh, cut for you are really evergreen for each year. So, uh, you know, we'll make sure that we give updates uh, on uh, new episodes uh, of changes to the scholarship process. And of course, we still have our books and uh, audio or rather audio and video courses that are on our website that uh, go through and are updated regularly. So, um, so please go back to our previous podcast episodes uh, because almost all of that is continues to be applicable uh, as well as these kind of updates uh, that I'm giving you here today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through uh, the army ROTC, the Navy ROTC, the Navy ROTC Marine Corps option, and then Air Force, and then give some general uh, observations and then kind of close it out. So first of all, let's uh, talk about Army ROTC first. And uh, that's generally has uh, most of the, um, well, about 50% of the people I work with are concerned with Army ROTC. And that's not surprising given it's the has the most scholarships to give out and is of course the largest service. So uh, when I deal with candidates over this past year with uh, Army ROTC, I continue to get reinforced the importance of the interview and uh, the interview with the professor of military science that heads up the Army ROTC program. So uh, the candidates that did not get a scholarship uh, that I worked with. Uh, clearly, that was the reason why they didn't get a scholarship was because something happened on the interview uh, that they didn't do well on, or the or their interviewer was did not uh, uh, evaluate them well. And so that is probably of the utmost importance and can make or break an application. And so. Uh, so preparing for this interview, practicing the interview questions that I talk about in blog posts and we have uh, in previous podcast episodes is extremely important in doing well on this interview and getting a scholarship. 
because if you don't do well on this interview, you're not going to get an Army uh, ROTC scholarship. And so uh, one of the things, you know, I would say is that, you know, you can control where you do your Army ROTC interview. In other words, you don't have to do it at the closest uh, Army ROTC uh, unit to where you live. You can do it at your number one school or the school that you would like to do Army ROTC at. And so you've really got to take the opportunity to get to know uh, the senior uh, cadre at, in the program and particularly the professor of military science before you do the interview. So that means going to visit the program ahead of time, get showing interest, becoming visible, particularly to the uh, colonel that's going to be interviewing you. And so you want to take out as much doubt out as possible that you're going to do well on this interview and get evaluated well. And so, again, preparing and making sure that, that the person interviewing you is aware of who you are through your visits to the program and through your engagements before your interview uh, takes place whenever you decide to do that interview. So keep in mind that uh, the interview is normally the last thing you do with Army ROTC scholarship. So if you're, there's three boards in October, mid-October, mid-January, and mid-March. So you want to make sure you do your interview no later than the beginning of the month before the board meets uh, in order to uh, be, uh, in order to compete on that board. And so in order to visit that program before your interview, you should back off a certain amount of days so that you have visited the program ahead of time so that when you do your interview, uh, it will be one that uh, the professor of military science will know you and you'll have a successful interview. The second um, point about Army ROTC is the October board. And uh, October board has remained a very competitive board, uh, meaning that if you really don't have like around a 1400 SAT, uh, it's really, or a 32 ACT, it's really hard to get uh, a scholarship off the October board. They just don't give out a lot of scholarships on that board. I think they gave out like th 300 uh, scholarships out of like the 3,000 scholarships that they uh, allocate. So it really wasn't one where, uh, where you know, it, it just wasn't, it was, it was very competitive. And so uh, for candidates that don't have a, a really good profile going into the October board, it makes sense to hold off until January because for the January board, because on the October board, uh, you get a board score. So what happens is as part of this process, uh, when you go in front of the board in October for Army ROTC, you get looked at by uh, lieutenant colonels and they all look at you and give you a rating. So the people generally who compete on this October board, the candidates are usually highly competitive candidates. And so um, I think it would be in, in your generally your board score will be lower in October if you don't have really good SAT scores and a, a really solid packet. So it makes sense for you to hold off and not compete in October and compete on the January board when there's more candidates competing and there's more of a level level playing field. So that held up this past year too. So, so the two things I've said so far is important, continued importance of the interview and the October uh, board competitiveness has continued to hold. 
The final thing uh, that uh, this year was the uh, upgrades uh, to the top 1,000. So what happened is uh, the top 1,000 of the 3,000 some odd candidates get four-year scholarships and 2,000 candidates around 2,000 get three-year scholarships. And so what happened on the January, so if you got, so the October board, everybody gets a four-year scholarship. So that's 300 of the 1,000 four-year scholarships are given out of the October board. That leaves 700 scholarships remaining. So on the January board, there was probably another, I'm estimating here, probably another 500 four-year scholarships given off out of the January board. So there was 200 scholarships that were held back off the January board and given out in March, the March board. And so candidates who got a three-year scholarship off the January board that people competing on the March board weren't as qualified as were upgraded to a four-year scholarship. So I had several candidates who I worked with who got a three-year scholarship off the uh, January board that were upgraded to uh, four-year scholarships off the March board. So, he, so the lesson learned there is even if you get a three-year scholarship off the January board, you still have the possibility of getting your scholarship upgraded off the March board, getting into the top uh, 1,000. So those are the two, th three things for Army. Importance of the interview, October board, com continued competitiveness, and the upgrades of um, the scholarships for the top 1,000 off the March board. Okay, so let's transition now to Navy ROTC. And so um, big thing that I learned about Navy ROTC this past year is that uh, there's boards every month for Navy ROTC, and they, often, they begin in October and they end in April. And so the dates for this coming boards are, are uh, on our blog. And it uh, just type into Google Navy ROTC board dates and you'll get the, the board dates coming up for Navy starting this fall. So they have boards about every month. Sometimes they even have boards twice a month and they start in October and run through uh, April. So uh, one of the big lessons that I've learned this past year is that you should not compete on the Navy ROTC board until you have the best packet possible to compete. And so, so as you know from previous podcasts or from reading uh, my books, is that uh, having, a, uh, having an SAT score that is strong uh, is very, very important. Uh, having a 700 SAT math score is a very, very important uh, aspect to this overall, uh, overall process. So the reason is, is because Navy ROTC has, uh, uh, has uh, uh, most of their scholarships are either engineering or hard science. And so they see the SAT math score as the most important part of this application. So getting that 700 or 32 ACT is really important. And I really uh, recommend that you wait and compete on a later board uh, if you don't have those SAT scores around that or you cannot do any better on your SAT or, or ACT. What I found with uh, a number of candidates this past year that I worked with is even though 
They were close to that 700. They competed on an earlier board and they were put on a wait list and wait listed till April uh, when they came off the wait list and were awarded a scholarship. And so I think the later you can wait and, and, and improve your scores as best you can and then compete on that board after you're happy with your SAT or ACT scores, I think you'll be more successful than somebody who competes early with uh, a uh, SAT scores they could have could have improved. So it's a call that you have to make, but I believe that waiting and improving your packet is better than competing early for uh, Navy ROTC uh, because of the wait list. And the second thing is, is that your board, your uh, application is not rolled over to the next board. So if you are boarded in October and you don't get the scholarship off the October board, you are put on that wait list and you are then selected in April. So that's another reason to wait uh, and compete when you believe you've got the best packet possible. And the last thing that you normally do before you uh, go in front of the board is to do the ROTC interview with uh, with someone in Navy ROTC. So so that so simply the way you can control that is you don't do the interview until you are satisfied that uh, your packet is the best as possible for the board, um, and you can compete on these boards anytime because they uh, are running once, sometimes twice a month, and you can see the actual board dates uh, if you google those or go to our uh, our rotc uh, consulting website and then finally uh some of the people that came off the waiting list particularly later who got a scholarship late in april uh were closed out of their top school so we I had a, a couple of circumstances where a person couldn't get into their top school and were forced to go to their second or third choice so that's one of the other advantages to getting a scholarship earlier or maybe waiting to compete is that you'll be able to get to your top choice school and not have to wait till April off the waiting list where you would then uh, maybe be closed out of your top school. So those were the lessons uh, learned for Navy uh, over the past uh, year. Uh, let's uh, transition to the Marine Corps option. Uh, Marine Corps option, uh, their fitness test uh, score was continued continued to be reinforced. If you don't get a good don't have a good Marine Corps fitness test score, you're not going to get a scholarship. And so, when you initially go for your interview with the Marine Corps, which is usually in the August or September timeframe, you're going to do a, a fitness test there. And in order to advance to the next uh, uh, level for Marine Corps option and be considered for the scholarship, you have to get over a 200 uh, score on your uh, fitness test. Uh, however, you know, you can continue to improve this fitness test throughout the fall and into the spring. So in order to really get this scholarship and to be competitive, you need to continue to improve your score uh, throughout the fall and into the spring because most candidates are getting selected for Marine Corps option either off the February board. There's a November board, but you gotta be really, really competitive to get something off of the November board. Most candidates are getting selected off the February board or they're being waitlisted till April. And so if you're not gonna be able to get your scholarship till February or as late as April, 
you should be continuing to try to improve that uh, fitness test score all the way through the fall and into the spring. And what that shows also the Marine Corps uh, people is that you're dedicated, that you really want this scholarship and you're willing to do the test multiple times in order to show your, um, uh, your attitude, your not, your, 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 your not quitting and that you are dedicated. Uh, and I'd say second, you know, regarding the Marines is, or third rather, is, uh, or second, is to, uh, you've got to establish the relationship with your coordinator and the Marines in your local district. Those are the people that are going to have the most influence. Now, the Marine Corps option is the most decentralized uh, selection process. Both Army, Navy, and Air Force are very centralized. So everything's done at the headquarters and everything's selected at the headquarters at the national level. The Marines are different. They they select at the district level, and there's like five or six districts in the Marine Corps for recruiting districts. And so each district has sub-districts, and those sub-districts are usually uh, commanded by Camp Marine Corps captains. These captains advocate at the district level for candidates that they believe would make good officers. So you've got to establish a great relationship with your coordinator, who's that captain, as well as uh, other Marines like in the recruiting area so that they're going to, so that particularly that captain will advocate for you for a scholarship. Uh, I had several candidates this past year who established great relationships. They weren't, you know, they were really good candidates, but maybe they, they were, didn't have the best SAT score or maybe, you know, something, but they, they were, they did great on their physical fitness test and the captain really loved them and was pulling for them to get a scholarship. And they both got that scholarship uh, in April. So importance of the Marine Corps is the, fit, is the, is the uh, fitness test and establishing the relationships. Finally, let's talk about Air Force. And so um, one is with the Air Force is at least what I've seen over the last few years is that management of the Air Force ROTC scholarship has been suspect in later rounds of the Air Force ROTC scholarship. So traditionally, the Air Force ROTC has three boards. They have a board in October, a board in January, and a board in March. And in this past year, they added a board for Space Force, which is a diff which is sort of like the similar to the Marine Corps for the Navy ROTC, but uh, it's a new force uh, that you know you you're probably aware of, but the Air Force is the one that's managing Space Force, at least for ROTC. So there's actually four boards uh, for Air Force ROTC. What I've noticed is that uh, is that you at least until the Air Force can show me over the past couple of years that they can manage their scholarship allocation better, is that you should compete on the early October board and get that scholarship in October if you can, because you just don't know if the Air Force is gonna have the scholarships later for you based on the previous several years that I've been managing Air Force uh, ROTC candidates. So uh, as you know, with the Air Force, the Air Force has three types of scholarships. They have a type one, a type two, and a type seven. Most of the scholarships are type seven scholarships, which are in-state tuition for four years, 
or uh, can be converted to a three-year scholarship starting in the sophomore year at $18,000 a year. About 70% of the scholarships are type seven. Type two scholarships, about 20% are $18,000 a year for four years. About 10% of the scholarships are known as type one, which are full four-year scholarships at any public or private college or university. And so uh, if you would be happy with a type seven scholarship and you believe you're competitive, meaning that you have a 1300 SAT and you are prepared for your interview, you should strongly consider grabbing that type seven scholarship off of the October board rather than trying to improve to get that type two scholarship. I just, you just don't know how the Air Force is managing things and you should grab that scholarship when you can, when you can grab it. So that was kind of the lessons I've learned from Air Force over the, one of the lessons I learned from Air Force over the past couple of years. Second is the importance of understanding uh, which schools give in-state tuition for out-of-state students. And there's a list of that that you can find on our ROTC uh, consulting website if you go to um, incentives. And it talks about all the schools that consider you an in-state student if you're coming from out-of-state. And so one example is, uh, say, Florida State. So Florida State, if you live in Idaho and you go to Florida State and you get in there, you Florida State considers you an in-state student even though you're from Idaho. So you pay in-state in tuition in Florida and the Type 7 scholarship that pays four years in-state tuition would be uh, operable in, in Florida and would be a full scholarship for Florida. So understanding which state schools consider you an in-state student is really, really important, particularly given that most of your Air Force ROTC scholarships are type seven and that you know, and that, and that you want to compete on that early board to get a type seven. Uh, the one thing I wanted that I failed to mention here about Air Force previously is, is that if you get a type seven scholarship off the October board, you're done competing for Air Force ROTC. So you're not going to be considered later for a type two or a type one scholarship. So once you get that type seven, you're done. So you got to be happy with that type seven if you think you're going to get that uh, off the October board. Uh, the final thing uh, I would say with Air Force is the power of the upgrades. And I had a, there was a recent uh, blog post I did on this, but I had several candidates who were really, really competitive uh, that got into Ivy League schools, Notre Dame, MIT. And so if you have a type two or a type seven scholarship for Air Force, that will be automatically be, be upgraded to a type one if you go to cert, if you get into certain schools. And that's for like Ivy Leagues, um, uh, Duke, Notre Dame, Johns Hopkins, MIT, Stanford, uh, Rice, and there's several other ones. Uh, and there's also a list for Space Force. So be aware of those upgrades and that, you know, if you get that type two or type seven and are a really uh, competitive candidate and get in, that can get into a really good school, you can really leverage that, uh, that upgrade in order to be able to have your school paid for on a type one scholarship. Uh, one other thing about Air Force ROTC is the Space Force, and uh, Space Force was sort of implemented this past year for Air Force ROTC. It's new. They ran this board. Uh, the, the jury's out about Space Force as far as uh, 
you know, what what is involved in this, what people are, what new lieutenants are going to do in Space Force. But if you compete for a Space Force scholarship, it's important to understand that if you accept a Space Force scholarship, that you have to go into the Space Force, uh, that you don't have the option of going into the Air Force. Uh, so that's important because if you if you take a Space Force scholarship, then you then you go into Air Force ROTC, and then a year into Air Force ROTC, you make the decision that, oh, I would really like to fly a jet for the Air Force. Based on what I know right now, you wouldn't be able to, to move to the Air Force. You'd have to stay in Space Force. So the lesson learned there is if you accept that Space Force scholarship, you better be sure that that's what you want, Space Force. Now, if you accept an Air Force ROTC scholarship, you can you can go into Space Force. So that gives you that kind of flexibility. So if you get that Space Force and they offer you that Space Force scholarship, and you decide to compete, just read the fine print and understand that you're likely not going to be able to go into the Air Force, that you've got to stay in Space Force. And uh, so finally, in general, uh, two schools that really stood out to me this past year were the Citadel and Texas A&M. And these are what are known as senior military colleges. And uh, if you take a look and you type in ROTC scholarship and either type in Citadel or Texas A&M, you'll see that they are offering room and board scholarships to all uh, ROTC cadets and midshipmen. And the Citadel in particular is, is making up for uh, people on three-year scholarships or Air Force ROTC scholarships that are type seven or type two. They're picking up all of the tuition. Uh, Army ROTC three-year scholarships, they pick up the first year tuition and they're giving room and board. So the Citadel is really a standout in Texas A&M has upped their game with room and board. So those are two big institutions uh, that have really come to the table in helping uh, ROTC cadets and midshipmen. I had a, a cadet, uh, rather a candidate who got a Army ROTC three-year scholarship from the Midwest, and they are now going to be going to the Citadel, and the, their Citadel is picking up the first-year tuition and is kicking in four years of uh, room and board. So this is a candidate on a three-year scholarship who everything is being paid for for the four years. So if you really want to go to the Citadel, uh, it's an awesome uh, thing that they're doing. And Texas A&M, like a number of other schools, are providing room and board to help out ROTC candidates. So those are kind of two institutions over the past year that have really been standouts for me. So hopefully this didn't go too fast for you here today. Um, I had a lot on my mind regarding kind of, um, you know, kind of what's happened over the past year. We're getting ready to, um, well, we're accepting candidates here for uh, ROTC's uh, clients for this next year. And, you know, we'd love to work with you uh, and, and have you uh, be as successful as the candidates we've worked with in previous years. I'd also encourage you to check out uh, the uh, online courses we have. Uh, if you don't opt to consult with us, uh, those courses are available on our website and are uh, excellent ways to get completely oriented into um, the requirements for ROTC. So I hope you found this, um, this uh, episode helpful. Sorry I've been away for so long, but, uh, but uh, you know, I felt like I just wanted to get this episode out to um, you know, 
talk to you more about kind of what I learned over the past year. And, um, you know, I'll try to crank out some more podcasts here in the coming months. So um, thanks for uh, tuning in and we'll see you next time.